You are listening to Juvenilia, where we travel back in time in our time machine and take a look at the many weird and interesting, creative, crazy things that we did when we were younger and up to the present day, such as books and probably some other stuff, comics. And it's that's just it's just books. There's well, n- there's nothing else. Comics can go in a book. That's Sam. That's whose voice you're yeah. hearing. <laughs> and that's Corbin. He's the guy who just introduced the show. I'm the and idiot. Came up with the concept. Chuckling over here. Uh, what are we talking about today, Sam? Do you want to tell us? Well, you just want Certainly to keep I it do. from us. You just want to just not tell us, and we'll just sit here in silence. Let's work it out. Let's um, let's uh, let's paint around the picture. No. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about my very first real creative endeavor as a uh, as a human, pretty much. Um, it's a long-running comic series called The Usual Scum, a set of six-panel, well, mostly six-panel, um, cartoons that I produced between the ages of 13 and 15 that were, I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that were pretty um pretty important for me as a uh, as a creating individual a creative you might even say um but yeah uh, that's that that's it the usual scum that's what we're going to be talking about and what were they about what were these comics about so um they were basically sort of personifications or caricatures of uh, myself and my my schoolyard chums. <laughs> um, a particular set uh, were central, but I, I feel over the course of it, I gave uh, gave gave a rising to uh, well, to pretty much to pretty much everyone I went to school with that had any any sort of interesting facets to them. At any rate, you roasted I, the whole you know, school anyone. by the end. Yeah, I think there were a few teachers in there as well, um, and. Probably made it. Uh, I mean, I think that would probably already be pretty impenetrable for uh, someone who didn't know me personally. Just made it that much more inextricably tied to the life I was living and the feelings and uh, grievances, mostly that I was uh, going through at that uh, that age. Yeah, that was one of the things that always struck me about this comic is that it was so intensely personal that it's kind of difficult to imagine someone with no connection to you being able to fully appreciate it. And it's something I always wondered. (laughs) I know we spoke recently about um, why you chose not to put it online. And uh, I think you said it was mostly down to just technical reasons, but um, it always fascinated me to consider if you could have basically taken this and started to move it more towards something a little universal, like introducing characters that were less specific, you know, less references to uh, specific events and so on. Yes, uh, a universal scum, if you will. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's definitely a thing I considered. Um, it's definitely something that I sort of thought about as I went along. I do remember getting towards the sort of the the end of the run, so to speak, and thinking if I want to do this anymore, I probably need to change it. And then I thought, well, if I'm just going to change it, I'll just do something completely different. Which, unfortunately, that thought, uh, <laughs> that thought has has dogged my creative uh, years for you know the. Two decades since. How um, so? I am. I am. Well, I, I'm just referring to the fact that I um, every every sort of couple of months or every you know year or so, I'll 
I'll sit down and be like, time to make a new batch of comics. This one will be the one that'll stick. And to, at this point, I know it's never going to stick. I know that that's part of the fun. But <laughs> as uh, as we will come to realize, there are countless iterations of um, this first thing that I did. I keep coming back to just trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. Because, I mean, if for no other reason. I always had a lot of fun doing it, and mm, so, a lot of fun sh- uh, sharing it with uh, the people that were involved, mostly yourself, but also others. So you're referring to basically six-panel comics about people you know, and you've done various versions of this over the years, but do you see those all as kind of uh, responses to the usual scum? You see those as like increasingly mostly, wacky yeah. developments from this original premise? Yeah, mostly there is. Um, I think I think there's easily eight to ten different times where I I've sort of you know sat down and made made more than a single page, thinking maybe this time this will be the one that I'll just sort of keep doing now. Like maybe this will be the final resting spot, but also like the you know the 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 um, the soap version of this where it just keeps on going forever. Like yeah. and so far so far I've not landed on that, but yes the. The the format is almost always six panel comics, caricatures of my friends, and whatever my sense of humor has gotten to at that point in time. <laughs> Usually, if not always, tied very very personally to what I'm feeling and going through at the time. Like I can't I can't state that enough. But it's usually very adult humor combined with a particular kind of surrealism that I guess you could compare to someone like Chris Morris, you know, dark surrealism. <laughs> not so much in the usual scum, but later on. Not so, not so, much, in, not so much in quality, either. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just mean the fact that it's that, um, it's 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 uh, dark and absurd. I guess I am talking about more like the later stuff, but I think it was there, even in these earlier comics, that kind of, um, like, oh my god, this is... Uh... <laughs> What am I trying to say? There's um, there's an edge to it, a particular sort mm. of edge, um, and there were also occasions I think where you you tried to go against that and try to kind of soften it. And um, there were cer- there were certain episodes of this comic that were a little more, shall I say, conventional. And I got the sense you were really trying to kind of um, do something with that that was more. That had more mass appeal that you could maybe show to uh, yeah, more I people. Mean, the interesting thing for me about um, making this, um, and it's something that I lost. Like I was very aware of it at the time that I was making it, but I sort of lost sight of it over time. Um, but I always referred to, um, I always referred to like the the blocks of episodes. There's um, like the the main there's there's the, the main sort of series of scum. There's approximately 180. Um, episodes i called them episodes they weren't pages they were episodes and i called the the sort of the larger blocks that i put them out in i called them seasons um both of which are very like television um centric things i i don't know why but i always viewed this as well with the the sort of the language of like television creation i never really like it was a comic obviously like you can't you can't deny that it was a comic but uh Mm. Every every part of making it, I was always thinking, yeah, this is sort of like a television show. Well, you were influenced at the time, I guess, by you know the the big things in your life was The Simpsons. It was Family Guy. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously Absolutely. there were comics that influenced this, particularly White Ninja by... Um, yes, I... What's um, guy's name? That's a good question. Let's use the internet to find out. White Ninja. Scott Bevan and Kent Earl. Oh, they're Canadians. That doesn't actually ring a bell, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> oh, hang on. That's uh, that's who made the animated oh. version. I feel like I would know the name immediately when you said it. Yeah, no. Oh, no. No, it is, it is them. Scott just... Bevan. Actually, it does ring a little bell. Scott Bevan. Huh. But so oh, White yeah. Ninja kind of looks like this. Um, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. Simple line drawings with these sort of um, almost like... What would what would you what would you call the figures in White Ninja? They're kind of like almost like uh, it's almost like someone's drawn a yeah. It's, it's almost like someone's drawn like um, a simple two D rendering of um, like a claymation person, like you know, very tubular limbs and a very tubular torso, basically sort of a a noodle man. Yeah, that's it. Um, and clearly, there was something and, uh, about this that made you think, "Hey, I could do that." Yeah, uh, so I I never had a, a great deal of uh, confidence when it came to drawing, and I knew that if I was doing comics, I needed to do a lot of drawing. So I, I quickly sort of designed, design is probably a heavy word for what I did, but I, I quickly sort of came up with um, four different sort of shapes of person for the four main people that I was sort of thinking about including in, um, in this comic um, that were like different from one another, but they they all sort of look like they're basically just sort of big... I mean, they're just sort of tall Pac-Man ghosts, to be quite honest. That's always what I sort of thought of them as. Yeah. They um, sort of uh, like a an elongated sort of cone with a rounded tip, and then the bottom had a sort of a wibbly line to indicate that it was the bottom, much the same as a Pac-Man ghost. Um, and then the character's hands would be completely separate from their body, like Rayman, because that way I didn't have to draw arms. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason that you managed to draw and enjoy drawing nearly 200 pages of this at that time, when you're a teenager, you know, it's it's rare to get that far into something, was because of the simplicity of these characters. And in a way, that's the that's the brilliance of it. And it's something that I, in the comics I draw now, I still try to keep tending towards. Like, how can I make this simpler to draw? Because it's so hard to do that many drawings. It's you have to simplify, otherwise you'll never get through it. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's I mean, I think that was something also I I remember there was a I had a distinct memory of um I watched uh BBC two did a sort of uh did an evening called The Simpsons Night. Oh, um, yes. in sort of nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine. I remember that. I don't remember. Like, my parents recorded it for me on um, the single blank VHS that I would receive every Christmas to sort of record my own content on. Um, <laughs> and that year, they, they, like, that was what I wanted. So they, they recorded that on there. And um, I remember watching that thing legitimately to death because not only did it, was it punctuated by very good episodes of The Simpsons. Um, but also they had these wonderful like interviews in between talking about how it was made and that was like a revolution to me. I I didn't I didn't realise that I, I think it was the first time that I really thought about like how like people are making this thing. Yeah. Like, obviously I knew it was animated, but um and I remember Matt Groening. I 
how do you say it? It's graining. Graining, yeah. It is, uh, yeah. Not graining. Um, I remember him um, saying, hey. No, he didn't say hey. He didn't say it like that. Sorry, I was trying to stifle you on. Um, I remember him saying, um, or talking about uh, the comic series that he made when he was at University of Life and Hell, which is a similar kind of look to it. It's uh, black and white, simple, simplified, like rabbits talking through their, you know, their various uh, problems and deeds. And I remember at that time just thinking, oh, that's a thing you can do. And if you do that, maybe you get to make The Simpsons. Yes. Um, a show which up up until that up until maybe a little bit before that my my mom in particular had tried to sort of steer me away from, not very successfully because my brothers watched it so she knew she was fighting a losing battle but this was a little, little while after she'd stopped trying to steer me away from it and I was like fully engrossed. It probably just um, gave it that little bit more spiciness so you enjoyed it even more. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Simplicity is the key to longevity. And it's funny that you kind of came to this comic not from what people might classically expect, like, uh, oh, I I loved Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes and uh, I wanted to draw (laughs) my own comic strip, but from kind of an odd place, like a mixture of web comics and um, television series, it's kind of not... um, you know, it's 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 not what you'd necessarily expect, but I think that again contributes to the the fact that it's it's more irreverent, it's more adult. Obviously, all of those newspaper comic strips they always had a kind of cheesiness to them, even the really good ones, because they had to um, they had to kind of be safe. You know, they couldn't be very adult or bizarre, so they had to Correct. toe that line. Whereas yeah. you were coming from it was the the you know it was the early years of the internet. And it was yes. the early years of animations for adults becoming a more acceptable medium. Obviously, at that time, you didn't have the explosion of, you know, all of the different adult cartoons that you have now. But I think Family no, Guy US, had just started and Simpsons yeah. was sort of well established by that point. Yeah, by the point I, but I started making this, um, Family Guy had started and had been cancelled. It was It was between... The cancellation of the third season and the um, and then the inevitable uh, you know restart the the uncancellation the revival I suppose you call it um, like in two thousand five or six or whenever that was um, but yeah my I started making this um, having seen that show um, thanks to a selection of DVDs in sun bleach boxes that my brother kept in his windowsill. <laughs> um and uh yeah i i remember watching watching them thoroughly and showing them to anyone anyone that would came come over to my house i would show them and stuff you gotta watch the show it's really funny um anyway yeah like uh it, it very much um yeah very much came from from that um and yeah i think that doing things in a adult way i, I thought that that was the way you had to do it to be funny yeah, as I think most teenagers do, and I think sometimes it is funny. There's, you said there's like a absurdist or like a surrealist like edge to it, and there is there is elements of that. I can't entirely claim that to be like original um, work. It's mostly just like processing of what I had seen and parroting in some places. Never, never directly um, parroting, but there's some pretty close lines in there that I could probably go through with a, a fine fine tip pen. And uh, underline and say, seems familiar. Yeah. Well, 
But, that's that's something that I can relate to definitely. That, but it was primarily centered around uh, you know a bunch of schoolboys and you know those were the characters and not all of it but some of it was centered around things that happened at a school and it makes me wonder was South Park also kind of an influence on this? Oh yeah, I'd say so. I hadn't seen as much of it at the time. Um, South Park was sort of harder to get hold of. Um, I I knew of it. Um, I knew that it was a show out there and I knew that it was very, very naughty. <laughs> um, but I, I'd maybe only seen like a handful of episodes. Um, usually when I went to other people's houses, right? um, because that where, where the war had been lost on the Simpsons, uh, you know, my, my mom's efforts to keep me away from anything vulgar, um, very much redoubled for South Park. Well, it was a lot more vulgar people yeah. sometimes have called it, uh, well, in the early seasons, people referred to it as it's like peanuts, but it's extremely adult. <laughs> yeah. You know, these kind of little kids who are sort of wise beyond their years, and you know, the adults are the sort of incompetent ones, and you know, yeah. the kind of inner inner lives of children and how they might be more complex than you think, and all that. Mm. But do you think? Do I don't you... think there. I don't think there were. <laughs> I don't think the children in my comics were. Were, were particularly complex and that probably comes from you know making the comics as a child and not as, as an adult who's able to make retrospective um you know remarks or um you know add hindsight to things i yeah i i don't mean to jump ahead but it does make me wonder you know how if i was to remake this comic it does make me wonder you know what what i would do differently wow well yeah we'll get to that in a little bit but one thing I would say is that at least, um, even if there wasn't a ton of psychological complexity, you at least had each character have distinctive traits, which I think for a... You started this when you were about 13, right? Correct, yeah. <clears throat> for a 13-year-old even, you know, that's... that's Hell, it's something, because, you know, some of the comics I was trying to create when I was 13, it was basically just totally surface you know you just think oh i'm going to try and design this cool character and all your characters basically look the same as well you just give them slightly different haircuts or colors <laughs> like sonic the hedgehog characters you know yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, pretty much obviously you manage that because they were based on real people but it, yeah it brings me back again to something i wanted to ask which is you know did you ever consider trying to take this and just change the names of the people and turn it into a sort of thinly veiled memoir. Cause I know this is something a lot of writers do uh, to one degree or another, <laughs> you take your own experiences and you, you don't write about them directly, but you change them just enough to make them universal and disconnected from the real people who were, who, who, who were involved. Did you ever consider yeah. trying to do that? Uh, I did consider trying to do that as a general concept. Um, when I started writing um, the my first novel, um, but before that, I don't know. I it was always it was always funnier to me to just just take the people who were stood next to me, and, like write something about them, and then show it to them, be like, "See, look, look, this is you." That is funny. And like, like, and also like if they, you know, so sometimes you would write something that just absolutely wasn't accurate for someone. Um, and she'd be like, look, this is you. And then <laughs> yeah. watch their discomfort. There's um, the surrealism. When you just showed someone the, in a manner that was completely opposite to their personality or just totally random. And, and sometimes that would be 
funny yeah. in and of itself because like well, that's got nothing to do with me and it's like yep that's the yeah. joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah i enjoyed uh like i enjoyed mixing those two um those two sort of ends of it together and um yeah i i like i'm sure at some point i must have thought you know is this going to upset people or is this going to like you know make things weird but i think i think i was in a turbulent enough position at that time going through you know puberty and whatever um that it just it, it i just thought well let's see what happens before we sort of decide not to do something um, which which is a way of thinking about the world that I actually retracted from and have come back to with perhaps a more sensitive um, sensitive eye on things. Like I, um, I definitely went through a phase of being like, oh man, no, you can't you can't be doing anything because you'll upset someone, and that's a good reason to not do stuff. Now I've realised that you should do things and you should see what happens, but you should also be aware of how people might feel. Yeah. But yeah. It's that um, much where I started. that's when we were at school. That was something that really impressed me about it, and I guess about your sense of humor generally was that you know you didn't seem to care if you offended people. Whereas my thing was always, oh my god, you can't say that. So I kind of, <laughs> I kind of got a kick out of anything that was like actually naming a person and then like showing them in some kind of ridiculous light. It was like, there's no way you're going to get away with this, man. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna put you in the slammer for this. <laughs> <laughs> what a yeah um no i i think i probably i probably could have done with um with sort of uh knowing a little more about uh how i maybe was making certain friends feel i feel like i never i feel like you didn't get too much um too much like hurtful stuff but i feel like um in the case of uh one chris hilton known in the comic as chilton um, like, I feel like I probably was quite mean as a way of, um, as a way of sort of like working through like tensions between himself and I yeah. at that time. Um, and I feel like that probably could have been handled better so that he would have like, it wouldn't have felt like I was constantly provoking him. But I mean, we, we remained friends for a, quite a long time, like through this and he always seemed to appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, um. I feel like doing that probably probably didn't make him feel particularly wonderful. <laughs> well, it was probably just indicative of your relationship in general. But I mean, there are instances, uh, as we said, that um, where you show someone in a light that can only be seen as ridiculous or absurd or surreal. And th <laughs> those probably, as long as you have a bit of a sense of humor, I think people can enjoy those a lot more. Like, yeah. if it's not really picking on something real, then you can just go, oh, look, you know, that's me. Oh, what am I doing? And it's it's just funny. But if you're <laughs> really picking on something about someone, then that's, it's it can be hard to take, can't it? It can. But I can't think of any but... particular examples off the top of my head of times where you really laid into him for something very personal. I think they were mostly just silly things, weren't they? I think uh, the vast majority certainly. I think that the the, the sort of the four archetypes. I don't, know, I don't know if you even call them archetypes. Like when I was designing the the so the main the main four characters are myself, Sam, you, Corbin, um, Chris, Chilton, um, and Robert, who at the time felt like the sort of fourth member of our little like compadre of friends. Though 
that didn't really last. Like I think Robert realised that we were idiots, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> found himself found himself better people to hang out with. Um, but um, yeah, I remember like um, I I was always sort of smug and like yeah smug and trying to be in charge and like you were meant to be sort of like smarter but quieter. Yeah, I come across Children. as the voice of reason in most of this, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Chilton <laughs> um, <laughs> was meant to be like just big, stupid, and like trying to one up everyone. And then Robert was kind of the gentle soul that was also like a punching bag. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you have to mention the fact that he was basically portrayed as uh, a sort of uh, closet Nazi. Nazi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which again, I, I, you only chose that because he had a vaguely German-sounding surname, <laughs> but in real life he was like just the nicest guy you could ever meet. But so yeah, that's why and, it was and, funny, I guess. But it's I, I hope he didn't take that too as like some kind of insult because again, it's more like this is so ridiculous that it's just funny because it's stupid. I, uh, I I do remember him repeatedly saying, Sam, I'm not a Nazi, and me being like, I know you're not a Nazi, but look. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, it, isn't it funny? And obviously, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess not. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, yeah, I remember being like, well, you have a German last name, it's like, my... I have my German ancestors uh, several several generations back. I've I've been my family have been here for like longer than you know since the the First World War. And I remember thinking, damn, that's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in hindsight, maybe you could have made fun of yourself a bit more rather than aiming your uh, all your jokes at Chilton and Robert. Yeah, no, I I, I could and I subsequently did. I think, <laughs> but. Not so much with uh, not so much with the usual scum. I think I was still very much like, oh yeah, and I could be, you know, I can make some mistakes, but I can also just be kind of an asshole and not really have to think about things too much. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I do remember um, as I got towards the like the later seasons of the usual scum. Um, I do remember thinking, well, you know, I should uh, I should definitely have like more you know, more characters in here. And I tried to, I added in a few other characters um, that became like permanent ones, but I also had some that were just like one-off ones. And I always, I always sort of look back and sort of resent myself for um, including some of the people in it that I included in it. Um, because it always felt a little bit like when the Simpsons started doing um, celebrity guest stars that were just themselves, even though it was just still just people from my school. You know, I'd have like one episode that was just about someone that I didn't like that week, and would otherwise be unrelated, and I'd just be like trying to be trying to make some cruel remark about them to feel better, and then <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and then it just it wasn't they weren't very they weren't very funny they weren't very good. Oh, um, you think so? Well, I mean, maybe maybe they were like some of them were. I, I remember deforming some faces quite grotesquely mm. and feeling quite good about that. Well, I guess that's the um, uh, one of the things about comedy is if there's just genuine malice in it. If you if you feel like it's coming from a place of anger and hurt, it's usually not funny. Like you do have to take the piss while having an affection for your subject. Yeah, which is you know where you can see this yeah, cool. works best. Is where yeah. it's like there is 
you know it's like taking the piss out of your friends it's it's that classic thing whereas if you're taking the piss out of your enemies it kind of just comes across as bitter doesn't it it does which is which is silly but it, it you know it does did you ever yeah, so cons- i'd like to oh go on. no go ahead oh i just wanted to do a small aside and um explain the name of the usual scum um is that my again my brother's film collection very much forming my early childhood um, in another sun bleach box, he had a VHS of the movie The Usual Suspects, and it had uh, you know, had these like cool, like tough guys on the front. And uh, I, I knew enough about parody to be like, wouldn't it be funny if like instead of calling it The Usual Suspects, you call it The Usual Scum? I've not seen that movie, and I've still I've still not seen it even to this day. I hadn't seen it then, haven't seen it now. Um, not really sure what it's about. Probably some suspects who are usually you know getting trendy. <laughs> usually. Um, <laughs> But um, you could have called it yeah, the no. unusual suspects. Could have, but I thought it would be funny to refer to us all as scum. Yeah, well, why though? Why will we scum? Oh, I think that's just standard. We like, just were old-fashioned British self-deprecation, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, you just you're talking about yourself. You're going to make a comment about yourself. It's very self-involved. Better make sure everyone knows that you don't like yourself, otherwise you'll be pompous. Okay, so there you go. You managed to get all of the self-hatred into the title. Yeah, and then I wrote that every time <laughs> in, a, in a sort of scra- scratchy font. Yeah, I like the font of the title. It's uh, it's embracing the scritchy scratchiness of the fountain pen that you presumably drew the entire thing. I absolutely, yeah, absolutely did everything in this series of the fountain pen because. And I'll tell you why I did that. I remember thinking I had this. I had, there was this idea. I don't know if this is true or not, but there was this idea that I had a lot. Um, I remember, you know, with um, with the uh, comics being made with a, with a fountain pen, which absolutely, yes, they were made with a fountain pen, um, I remember thinking, well, I've heard that if someone else uses your fountain pen, they'll break it because the pen gets used to the way that you write. And then when someone else writes with it, it'll like, it'll try and erase the nib in a different fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember hearing that and thinking, well, Okay, so I should draw with this this pen because that way no one else no one else can draw what I'm drawing because <laughs> if they do, the pen will just break in their hands. You you really legitimate... thought that? Yeah. You really thought that? Well, I think it's actually true that that other people shouldn't use your fountain pen because it, it gets worn down in a particular way. But what you actually thought that like it would give your drawing a, an an inimical style. Uh, yeah, I thought no one else would be able to uh, create the um, the <laughs> line quality that I, that I wow. made by uh, just dragging the pen around the page like some Neanderthal. That ends up being true anyway, doesn't it? I mean, however you try to draw, you can always tell the drawings by a particular person. It's like handwriting. No one can yeah. really ever emulate your line quality. That's true. Well, yeah, no, no, that is true. There is... Um, <laughs> There's a couple of episodes in the run that aren't actually by me. There's one by you, and there's one by Chilton. Okay. Um, and uh, just looking at them, like even you know the stylistic choices that you both made, and um, you know just the line quality, like uh, they, yeah, it's just it's very clearly uh, not me. <laughs> yeah, the, I I do remember that episode that I did, and um, it is truly horrendous. <clears throat> it's it's amazing that I could have been so embarrassed about that and i guess it made me realize in a way how 
good what you were doing was because it was just so simple and it communicated well whereas what i did it was like this is just, just it doesn't even make any sense this is just this is awful i can't submit this to sam <laughs> but i did anyway <laughs> this can't be published in the scum <laughs> this doesn't need to go to some sister rag oh man but i guess it also made me realize that um you know you were putting some edgy adult stuff into your comic and i thought to myself oh how does sam take the heat how does he how does he uh <laughs> <laughs> how does he tolerate the, the all of the, the heat he gets for putting this stuff in this comic? Because I've been a bit raunchy in this comic, and I I feel like I'm never going to live it down. I feel like um, I feel like I I didn't have the fear of God in me at that point, to the point that I do now. Now I fear in anything I'm doing being seen or witnessed. I have a very big sense of fear about a lot of what I do. Not everything, but. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I feel like I need to be very much in control of when my my art is released to people and in what manner. Um, but back then, I used to just like sit at the um, table in our uh, dining room, um, just with a big stack of paper after school, whenever the the mood took me, and just work through it, and then just leave the comics. I turned them over so they were face down, but that was more just to indicate like here is the you know the finished pile. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure my parents could have easily, if they had a care to, they could have gone through my work and seen the filth I was creating. Um, I do remember my mum actually sort of coming in at some point whilst I was um, whilst I was drawing one comic in particular, which was lampooning uh, the UK TV fitness champion, Mr. Motivator. <laughs> yes, I'd drawn him. I'd drawn him as an, a sort of an enormous knee because he. <laughs> had, See, that's funny. That is funny. Everyone can enjoy that. And uh, I believe that I was uh, indicating that he and um, Howard from Halifax, again, another British uh, staple, um, were in some sort of homosexual relationship. Um, and I, I, I was lifting, I was lifting a line that I like a, a wording that I'd heard that evening on um, "Have I Got News for You." Um, and I just put it put it straight into this comic because I thought it was very funny. And then my mum came by and she was sort of looking over my shoulder. I didn't really realise. She was like, "Oh, that's what they said on Have I Got News for You?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I felt I felt worse about that than Aww. the fact that I was sort of like taking these two people and you know putting them into uh, putting them into a, a relationship they hadn't consented to. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 kind of a really good example. I think maybe the best example of the, the the best of the comedy in this though it's that kind of like particular type of surrealism and again you can imagine it in a Chris Morris like opening monologue for the day to day you know <laughs> just without any explanation just saying Mr Motivator gets operation to become giant knee also tonight <laughs> yeah <laughs> But no, the, I, I think that's I think that's very fair. I, I'm actually uh, extremely flattered by that comparison. When you said it before, I was like, "Well, Corbin's being grandiose, isn't he?" But no, that's I, I can I can sort of hear that in his voice, and that, that makes me feel quite nice about myself, to be honest. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to blow your trumpet here, <clears throat> but <laughs> as I've mentioned in previous episodes, this is something I've struggled with my whole life: is um, worrying people will be offended by things I write, and therefore not showing it to people, just constantly being scared of, um, of of people seeing my work, be it friends, family, professionals, whoever. 
it's 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 a constant problem for me and um I guess that's part of the reason why I wanted to even do this podcast was to try and work through some of that and like maybe figure out where it came from. But an interesting yeah. comparison to the usual scum that's only just occurred to me is late, much much later than, than this, six, seven years later, when I was at university, uh, myself and my housemate, Johan, we started to do this little fun project that we called Jokemon, where we would take <laughs> people we knew from our university, like from our halls of residence, just people we had any kind of shared knowledge of, and we would turn them into a Pokemon. Like we'd come up with a new Pokemon and we'd draw a picture of them as this Pokemon. So, you know, they'd be animals or just like inanimate objects. And we'd come up with a stupid name that was a pun on their name. And we'd pick a type nice. and so on. And some of them were, were you know, kind of just nice, like just, you know, almost sweet. <laughs> like just, And some of them were just surreal and like, you know, funny. But then one or two of them did start to get quite mean. And I remember starting <laughs> to panic and, and thinking like, oh my God, hang on. I, I, I'm not really good enough friends with that person that this is going to come off as okay. I was just, this, I, I don't, I don't think we should be doing this, man. I think we should, I think we should rip this one out of the book because we had a special book <laughs> where we drew them all. <laughs> special book. Man. Yeah, we had a special little book and we planned them all out first, like in rough. And then once we were happy, we would draw it into the book. <laughs> well, that's nice. Though. I, I, I've not, I've not heard of Jokemon. That's, um, I mean, I, I love. I, do you still have the book? Does, did, did, or was that lost in the in the Yoke, in the Johan fire of uh, 2012? No, as far as I know, Johan held on to it, and he probably still has it to this day. It would be fun to see it again because we got through. I would guess like maybe around forty different God damn. people. Yeah. It was um it went on for quite a while. <laughs> like there was a period where we would just sit down every evening, like, okay, right, next Jokemon. <laughs> and we used to work it out we used to work it out on a big whiteboard that we had before we put it into the book. I remember that whiteboard, I think. Oh, I remember, remember like okay. well, I remember coming to coming to the place where you lived on uh or in Wood Green, um well, Turnpike Lane perhaps was the closest stop at that point. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I remember like I remember coming to visit you guys and there being a great big whiteboard covered in notes and just being like, I "Wonder what that's all about," and then not asking probably. Yeah, yeah, but I, I say all that just to compare it with the usual scum because it has that similar element where it's about real people and mostly it's just you know silly jokes. But then once in a while, it's like, does that cross a line? Are we allowed to say that? And similarly with me and you, I would kind of panic about it, but Johan was like, who cares? You know, it doesn't matter. I don't know what kind of trouble I worry that I'd get in. I'm just very scared of offending people. And yet I, I do have this tendency to want to write stories about subjects that are likely to offend people, just like last week's episode where I wrote about sadistic serial killers in a novel when I was 15. A subject likely to offend someone, presumably. I think that um, I think that there's a good there's a good benefit to being afraid of those things, um, but I think that there is also a a tendency to over worry, and that's an obvious thing to say. But like, I think there are certain like people that you should do your damnedest like to not offend, like you know disenfranchised groups or groups that are like left behind by 
society for whatever reason um, or are given a harder time. But I think when it comes to individuals, like if someone acts in an odious manner, you can attack them for their odious manner. You, like if someone is, you, you don't attack someone for like who they are. You attack them. No, you don't attack attack them for like. I don't know, you, you don't attack them for who they are, you attack them for, like, how they behave, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. like, that. I think that's the, the, the critical <clears throat> distinction. It sounds like what you were doing with, I, I can't imagine you guys just being like, oh, I don't like that girl, she's well, from no, Surrey. Well, no, but it was... You know, like, <laughs> it's probably more like, I don't like that girl, she's, like, unpleasant to the people around her. Well, a little bit, yeah. There, there were borderline <laughs> cases. I'm trying to save you. There were borderline cases, though, like, there, you know, there were people who... You know, they were unpleasant in some ways, but you might be like making fun of the nature of like their relationship with their partner or, you know, stuff yeah. that's like slightly beyond the pale. Like it would never just be like, you know, racial stereotypes or anything like that. Just, <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> but it was just, you know, sometimes it would be a bit too personal. And I think, oh, God, I hope they don't see this. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I, um, I think, um, and I think, like, even when people do act odiously, you're still a sophisticated uh, enough human being to be like, well, I may not like you, but I don't think you're the worst person that ever li lived, so maybe I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself. Like, I imagine that that's where it comes from. I think it's an empathetic response as much as it is, like, a fear of getting in trouble. Yeah, it was mostly um, fear of getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, there's a close link, obviously, between having empathy and not wanting to get in trouble with people. You know, the, the reason that we evolved to have empathy, presumably, is, you know, there's a balance of self-preservation in communities. Yeah. I don't want to upset you because I don't want you to be upset with me because... I don't want to go to war with you. Well, yeah. So, you know, we've evolved, hopefully, to be kind people who think about the feelings of others, partly for uh, self-preservation. I think it's so interesting that you say that, um, because, you know, if you think about, like, the sort of the great conflicts of our time, they're very much uh, spearheaded by people that sort of had leaned away from seeing each other as uh, as people and trying to find common uh, common uh, ground. But instead, you know, you look at the First World War um, and you think, well, this is about, yeah, you know, it's about a land grab, basically. It's like, uh, two big colonial powers saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to be the one that, like, submits here. Like, you know, neither of them sort of stepping down and agreeing to not do what they're about to do and then it costing the lives of millions. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, yeah, it's so interesting that, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a skill that we do have. Uh, it's an ability we do have. It's more common in some than in others, but some people try to move away from it. I always, I don't know. I always think that that's a poor choice. So how did you come up with the character of floating ass? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to deflate. I just had to oh, deflate I I, the atmosphere I, there. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely came to be a few characters um, that like popped up later along the line that just were were very nothingy. But I was like, yeah, this is my new character. I think with both floating ass and also with um, a character, the character known as Scout without a face, who was just, I mean, he just had a sort of a scout like uh, necktie on. Um, and some very sort of pointy, thick hair. 
um, and no no face, facial features whatsoever. Like, um, I think both of them, that was my early attempt at thinking, oh, I need to have some characters in here that, because I've, I've sort of run out of people that I want to, you know, make into regulars on this, in this, like, uh, comic I'm making. I need someone else I can add in for a bit more, like, character growth. Um, I also think that uh, Scout in particular came from, like, already after, like, maybe three seasons um, of making the comic, like, starting to realize that I didn't really know what to do with Robert because he was just, like, he was either an auntie or he was gentle and I didn't really have anything to, you know, any sort of comic material to make out of him and I was getting a bit tired of doing the same thing. So I sort of came up with a couple of different, like, characters and because my sense of humor is is not as sophisticated as you're giving me credit for, I was like, well, a big floated bomb would be quite funny. And then someone who doesn't have a face, so you can never see what their emotions are. That'd be quite funny as well. Well, I'm actually glancing through the book of all of these comics at the moment, and I'm pretty sure the origin of Floating Arse was, is, is episode 69, which features a panel of me giggling at a floating arse, and then a few episodes later, the arse starts to become an actual character. Uh, yeah, that was the thing. I was about to go and look through and uh, see if there was like an, uh, an origin for that. I... I... I was trying to think, like, why would I, like, why would this be, like, why would I choose to make that the, the sort of the go-to? But yeah, I think episode sixty-nine appropriately is a is a, is a sort of a tribute to immaturity, as I recall. Yeah, Just people sort of laughing at um, very obvious things, like a floating bomb is pretty pretty puerile. Well, yeah, and four episodes later, the floating ass is now the head of Fox. And, uh, oh, okay. Well, that's me trying to be political. Chilton pitches a TV show to to the floating arse, and the arse says, It's brilliant. Quick, jump through the window of triumph. And the last panel is Chilton just smashing through <laughs> the window of a tall building, <laughs> falling to his death. Uh, yeah. Did you ever it's consider... It's stupid laughing at my own jokes that I made 20 years ago, but... <laughs> That's that. That's what happened. Well, some of them like that one. They've just got perfect, uh, what comedic timing. I know you don't call it that in a comic, but that kind of perfect comedic pacing, where he just says, mm. "Jump through the window of triumph," and then the last panel is just this perfect shot of him having jumped through the window, and it just stops there. It's <laughs> that kind of thing is timeless. You know, you can't. Yeah. That that it doesn't matter. You don't have to know the people. But that's kind of what what I was getting at before. It's like you could read that comic, and you don't need to know who Chilton is. No, just... he's just a he's just a sort of a lovable idiot. Yeah, yeah, and you could kind of change the name and just dis- yeah. So it makes me wonder, you know, could you have kept going with this comic for like hundreds and hundreds of episodes, slowly transforming it into something that had nothing to do with school, nothing to do with specific people, but just was just a kind of surreal, funny comic where the characters just had different personalities and did stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I definitely could have um, if that had been where my where all of my attention was uh, was resting. But um, I, don't know, I, I think the purpose of this comic and the purpose of the comics that came afterwards very much. I like. I want. I want to have a uh, like. I want to have a giggle, but also I want to make my friends giggle. And the best way I, I know to do that is to sort of make jokes, um, and yeah, ideally in a sort of a cartoon form that I could just send them over because it's 
you kind of capture the whole concept. You don't risk, you know, you can't just, uh, I mean, probably some people could, I imagine, like uh, Robin Williams probably could have, like, called up his friends and just, like, told them jokes over the phone and made them laugh. But I don't know that uh, that would necessarily be a thing that I could just sort of do on uh, on demand. But, um, you know, if I make a comic, I can just send that over to you or to whoever and be like, here you go. And trust that I know I'm going to make you have a good laugh because that's, that's what I like doing. And uh, making other people laugh, you're like, yeah, that's that's cool. But I, yeah, they, I, they were always, they, I don't know, the, the importance of me was that they were like, not like intimate, intimate, that it was just us looking at them because as uh, as I'm sure we'll get onto, I did uh, I did sell copies of these, um, but um, yeah, I no, I, I for me they were very much like thing things to make my my friends laugh. Yeah, so in that sense, it's the difference between joking with your friends and trying to be a stand up comedian, you know, because yeah. generally you can be a lot funnier when you're just around people you know and referring to specific things with them or making fun of them specifically if you get up onto a stage and you have to make a bunch of strangers laugh you've got no common points of reference some of the funniest things in life are when people go oh you know do you remember when so and so did that oh you know yeah. what an idiot <laughs> yeah. you know whatever but if you don't have that to rely on you basically are just sort of telling jokes and you've got to kind of win people over it's it's a lot harder and i can see how it would be easier to be easier to find funny things if you're just talking directly about your friends and then sharing it with them because even just that little frisson of oh look that's me what am i doing that's um <laughs> that in itself gets you in a funny state of mind yeah no absolutely and i don't think i was sort of uh, consciously aware of that when, at the age that i was making the usual scum but i sort of cottoned on to it yeah. I still some, sometimes I still sort of um, like think back about like you know making the very first episode and being like you know what am I like what why why have I done this I, I there's it's almost like there's a sort of a missing impulse I don't know why I thought oh I'm gonna make like comics but I mean obviously we've talked about the you know the inspirations and the influences but I can't remember sitting down and making it I just know that I did I did quite a lot in a very short. Uh, space of time so you don't remember what originally sparked you to actually sit down and do it you just remember I sitting remember... there at your dining table with a stack of paper just like i don't know why but i'm doing it i remember um drawing the characters that was the very first thing i did and i remember that i did that in a french lesson um i was sitting um look at the back not learning french and i sort of drew these little characters like myself like this sort of like bulbous like character with like sort of a fat body and a thin head, um, and then a sort of a shorter character with glasses, which was you, and then a very tall character, which was Chilton because it was very tall, and then a sort of a, a middling height uh, character with um, the only character with a nose, Robert, because he um, he had a I mean he didn't really even have a big nose, but I just thought well, Chilton's got ears. I'm fat, Corbin's short, I need a, I need another archetype. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember that, but I, don't, I just I don't remember the act of actually going home and being like, okay, time to put these into a little, little narrative. 
Well, again, at least you made the characters visually distinctive, which is another mistake of a lot of amateur comics creators who attempt to make something that's overly complicated. They will draw characters that kind of all look the same. I think I mentioned it earlier. There are well-known comics where they do have a problem with characters looking the same. Uh, From Hell, the Alan Moore, Eddie mm. Campbell graphic novel. All the female characters in that kind of look the same, and it makes it kind of difficult to read. I mean, it looks amazing the way yeah. it's drawn, but because it's so um, it's so detailed and so classically drawn, yeah. you you lose your grip on which character is which whereas again something as simple as this just you know you, you give people the distinctive hairstyle or only one character has ears and it's it's a lot easier and it does make me think a lot about the balance when creating comics between cartooning and realism and the more you tend towards cartooning you know the easier a time you're going to have but um then you're going to be missing out on certain a certain seriousness that comes with drawing things with detailed and realistic aspects. And that's something that I've been trying to figure out for, for a lot of, for a lot of my, uh, creative life (laughs) is how to strike that balance. Well, I think, uh, not, uh, not to blow your horn, but I think that you've, uh, you've already like come like leaps and bounds towards, uh, getting that pretty, pretty much as a, like a nail hit directly on the head. Like, um, yeah, I, I've seen work of yours uh, in this just this past year where I've gone. This is making me laugh, but this is also like you know you've you managed to give the characters an elasticity um, that allows you to sort of move between those modes. Um, and I think that's uh, that's uh, pretty masterful of you, to be honest. Well, thank you very much, Sam. I appreciate that. Um, I kind of just want to be able to draw in a much simpler way just because I'm lazy, but I can't seem get to... Yourself, bring... Get yourself a fountain pen. Well, yeah. it's it, <laughs> In a way, it's just bringing yourself to do it. There are clearly comics artists out there, you see, who are drawing in a painstakingly realistic style that must take them forever, that they must agonize over. And I kind of want to just take them aside and say, listen, mate, just simplify it. You don't need to draw all that detail. You don't need to get everything right. Just embrace embrace the cartooniness it it won't make your comic less serious <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. did you ever consider um using different formats because this six panel format where you've just got six uniform square panels you kept that for the entire run yeah, did you ever feel much. as though that held you back there's, um, or there's there's a couple of um there's a couple of exceptions there's a, a number of episodes that are just the top 3 because it's like a three a three by two grid, isn't it? Oh, it's like yeah. three across the top and then um, two two deep or two that's up down. True, yeah. um, there's somewhere it's just three the three across the top. There's one that's just two across the top, and there's a couple that are just a single large full page illustration, which are more like newspaper comics than anything else. Right, like a single panel cartoon. Yeah, basically. Yeah, somehow I'd forgotten about those. But some of the funniest stuff is when you've clearly only got five panels and then you just fill the sixth panel with something stupid. Yes. <laughs> or that even in the approximately case... 30% of the time. Well, yeah, but that's that's where the magic happens, you know, and that it does make me think, because this is another niche issue that I'm minorly obsessed with, it, it makes me think that the having a consistent panel layout rather than being a prison 
it kind of inspires more creativity because if you do have that blank panel and you say, my God, oh, I have to do something to fill it, you'll you'll come up with something and it doesn't have to be something genius because it's like, well, I just got to put something there and it's an empty panel. So anything's better than nothing. And that's when crazy creative stuff happens. Yeah. Or needing to fit something to the square uh, format of the panel every time. It might make you more creative, like, oh, I've got to draw a landscape, but this panel's a bit too squat, so you will come up with some clever way of doing it. You know, it's those creative limitations. And something something I really love when I do look back at these is, like, there's not many, but there are moments where I've clearly tried to, you know, like, do something artistically challenging to sort of get a point across. And, like, I just, I, I love seeing, like, Little Sam, like, you know, going at those moments. Yes. Like, uh, like it's it's nice to know that I was trying, even though, as I say, this was mostly a, an, uh, an exercise in, you know, making people laugh and doing it as quickly as, and simply as possible. So there have been times when I've looked back at, uh, at earlier work that I did when I was younger, and seen such a sincere attempt to create something good that it's you know almost brought me to tears like oh this 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 kid this stupid kid he was really trying his best look at this and <laughs> no honestly it it almost you know because i always remember at the time how hard i was trying to do something and how much i felt as though i was messing it up and i guess it reminds me that i have to treat myself like that now you know you, you have to see yourself you should treat yourself now as you would treat a child trying to do something you know yeah you can guide them you would never like take a child and say oh this is just total shit come on do better you'd encourage them you'd give them advice you'd say wow i like really like that bit that's that's brilliant you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're so hard on ourselves as adults sometimes well i think there's this concept that when you're a grown-up you're not also still you know the child that you started off as like as if the you know, the is it the, the idea that you're not like the Matryoshka dolls? Am I saying that right, Matryoshka? I don't know, Russian dolls. Yeah, um, yeah, Russian dolls, exactly. Let's stick with like, that. I, yeah, I believe that. Um, I, I believe that we're all every version of ourselves uh, inside of ourselves. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's all in there because it is all in there. Like. Um, and I think that you're absolutely right. Like when you're when you're making things as an adult, you have more skills, but the core of you is still a child. And I think that's perfectly natural and normal. And I think that it's okay to give that child the like the support and the love and the um, you know the the space to do things because ultimately that's where the, that's where the curiosity and the 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 experimenting and the play comes from that makes you a creative person in the first place absolutely i think the, the the main mistake a lot of people make in their lives not just creative lives is to be like well i've turned 18 or i've turned 21 or i've turned 25 or i've turned 30 now <sighs> no need for me to think about any childish things i've got a job and responsibilities and yeah you probably do have a job and responsibilities but you're still a kid inside and that's that's a good thing yeah yeah um and what well from that there's something that i always try to tell myself recently which is that you have limitations and you will always have limitations Mm, but if you're doing the best that you can right now with what you have 
then that's good enough. You, you yeah. may lack time. You may lack money. You may lack energy. You may lack skills in certain respects. There may be all kinds of limitations on what you can do. And you can sit there and agonize about that and wish that things were perfect. Or you can say, but wait a minute, I'm a human being living on Earth. That's yeah. why that's why making art is interesting, because I have a life, I have a background, I have limitations. So what I can do within my own limitations, that's that's good. It's sort of intrinsically good. And I can look back on my old work and see the quote-unquote problems with it. And yeah. now I just see those as part of the charm it's like, well, I did that when I was 19. I did that when I was 15. Uh, you know, of course it looks like that. And it's kind of part of its makeup. Like, yeah, it's, it's no, fine. Absolutely. But I need to kind of make myself uh, believe that in the present. And I think I'm getting better at it. No, I, I think that, um, I think that's uh, like, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, to be honest. Like, um, not, uh, yeah, not, I always sort of end up circling back to, thinking about it but the um the great sort of nostalgia fires of your of your uh sort of early 20s where you where you burned up a lot of your stuff i often wonder if that if you know this kind of thinking would have um like back then might have uh, made you not do that or if that was always a necessary catharsis but i'm sure we'll talk about that more at another point well, you might be reading too much into my destroying of my old work because 90% of the reason for it was just that I was moving house a lot and I had an extraordinary amount of work and mm. I just didn't want to have to carry it around with me. No, that's fair. Yeah. That's uh, perhaps the, the healthiest catharsis of all. <laughs> yeah. The removal of baggage. I mean, a lot of it was just piles and piles of, you know, preparatory sketches and roughs and things. And it's like, hmm, I could save this entire rough version of a graphic novel that I have the finished artwork for, but what am I ever going to use it for? What's the point of keeping it? I've got to draw a line somewhere, you know. That's fair. That's, fair. That's basically the whole story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair. Um, I think we should take a little a little moment to uh, do a quiz. To oh, wow. Well. You got you got some quiz questions for me? I got a few quiz, quiz questions oh, for you. Sweet. I don't know how good they are, but I uh, feverishly last night as I was going to bed, I thought, oh, hang on, doing this tomorrow. Better, better come up with some. Um, mine are much less uh, much less sort of fun and esoteric as uh, compared to yours, but they are grounded in the material, so I apologize. Um, but yeah, if you're ready, I've got uh, I've got my five scum questions for you, Wilkin. Five scummy ones. Well, I've closed yeah. the scum book, so I can't look and cheat. So hit me. All right. How many pages of the usual scum, not including front covers, did I make? Well, you said it earlier, so this should be easy, but I'm not going to be able to get it exact. I'm going to say 186. That is incorrect. Well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> What was it? The correct answer is 210. Huh? I know. I swear you said it was 180-something earlier. So, the original series has 180 episodes. Two of those episodes were not by me, which takes it down to 178. (laughs) Three episodes were non-official run. 
the ones that I made after the fact and called cut episodes where I just tried to make them as uh, as offensive as humanly possible, which takes you to 182, uh, sorry, to 181. And then there were 29 pages of the Christmas uh, extravaganza. I didn't think that yeah. counted. No, you're still wrong. <laughs> that's a trick question, you son of a... I mean, that's that's sneaky. Yeah, I apologize. I am a sneaky man. Um, this one, this one's uh, more straight up and up. Um, how long did it take me to make the first season? First 27 what? episodes. Ooh, how long? Um, well, as you touched upon, I seem to remember generally... Once you got going, you got through these things fast. Um, you didn't kind of draw out a season like over time. It was like you decided, I'm doing a season, and then it would just be like, boom, boom, boom. Like yes. y- You wouldn't let the energy drop until you'd completed that season. And so for the first one, I'm going to guess it was one week. Spot on. That's wow. one point for Wilkin. So that was three or four, basically four comics a day pretty much i think that it may have been more like three comics the first day seven the next day you know two the day after that probably a day yeah. in the middle where i didn't do anything and felt like uh garbage and then probably as the week came to a close i probably sped up again um but yeah i remember thinking i remember getting to the 27th episode chilton goes on holiday um and uh thinking yeah that's enough i'll stop here but yeah, um, how much did an original season one uh, sell for when I was selling the uh, the photocopied, basically just piles of paper? <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, I think the kids nowadays are calling that a zine. <laughs> they call it a zine if it had any kind of uh, any kind of. Um, bookbinding to speak of but it was literally just a stack of papers yeah one of the things that i felt has held me back in my life is my lack of access to a long arm stapler honestly the number of zines i could have made i tell you how do people do it how do they get those long arm staplers corbin you're an industry whiz you're an insider like tell me are are there staples that are longer you know for you know when you when you buy a book from the shop they must have some crazy long staples to go all the way through their books Oh, well, you get those long staples. Well, they don't staple books generally; they're glued, aren't they? It's my understanding they were stapled. Which books are you talking about? Magazines? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm obviously suggesting, but uh, yeah, oh. that, that was something I was. <laughs> you were having a genuine moment of oh no, my friend's not very smart. It's quite, it's quite sad. Um, no, I uh, as a as a teenager, I do remember lamenting the fact that staples were all a uniform size and being like, they should make ones that are just a little bit bigger, a little bit deeper, go through more paper. See, that's a great idea. Yeah, big staples, I call them. That would have, oh, that would have made a lot of sense. So you would photocopy the first series and just sell it as a stack? Yes. You didn't even put it in like a folded piece of card? Not a folder. I probably put it in a. I probably shoved it all into a single plastic sheet. Oh yes, that that sounds accurate. Okay, so you sold those. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you sold them for two pounds fifty each. Damn, spot on. Really? 
Yeah. Jesus, it's amazing what uh, floats up from the depths of my brain box. I remember uh, I used to tell people that's less than 10 pence a page. That's Which, ironically, 10 pence a page is what I was paying to the uh, school library to print them off, so I was actually selling them at a loss. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you couldn't have printed them at home? Uh, I think that I tried, and I remember the printer being out of ink. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. A problem Obviously, I couldn't what overcome. <laughs> is a laser jet. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's something I used to um, dream of sometimes, is oh, if I just got, like, a little black and white high-speed laser jet I could print off like my own books and it would be like a fraction of a penny per page it would be awesome yeah I, I also had I've also coveted a laser jet printer no none, no time more so I would say than now when I, I work amongst laser jet printers and I just see how rapidly they spit things out with perfect mm. precision well I'm you can get like, dinky little ones like just pure black and white you can get one that sits nicely on a desktop like they, you can get really little ones. They're quite appealing. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> Give it a go. Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, you can finally live your dream of printing off the usual scum at a low, low price. And so, I mean, that's what big, it's all, all. Everything I've been doing in my life has been building to this. This is the this is the end game. Um. Okay. Two more. What is the worst episode of The Usual Scum? There is a definitive answer to this. How can there be a definitive answer? It's totally subjective. <laughs> I think that when you uh, when you rack your brains, it's 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 actually it's a thing that you said to me in the past. So I hope that you can remember. You remember, I remember you sort of talking about it, but like Sam, this is the worst episode of The Usual Scum because I can't tell you why. But, uh, oh. Well, I want to say it's the episode that I did because <laughs> that feels like the worst one. I'm actually cheating now and leafing through to try and get some inspiration, but I can't That's imagine. Fine. I'm sure once you tell me, I'm going to be kicking myself, but I can't. Um... You'll know it, I think, because you, I feel like it comes to mind. Uh, well. You got to tell me. I, I I really don't know. Okay, um, it's uh, the first episode of season five. It's uh, episode one two one. It's called "Some Changes," and it serves literally as a as a descri- as a as an announcement that I will not be using speech bubbles, but speech lines henceforth to make the uh, comic look less crowded. It's three panels long, and the last panel is just me looking happy and saying, "Enjoy." <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is the worst episode. <laughs> What I love is that you've titled this episode A Few Changes. A Few Changes. And there's only one change. There's only one change, yeah. (laughs) Here we go, another series of The Usual Scum. This time we have a few changes. Yes, yeah. Strong opening. One change. Strong opening. I think um, I think season five was definitely the season where I was like, uh, "Oh, I'm running out of ideas." And um, there's, I think season five has probably the highest number of um, episodes where I'm, you know, referencing films and TV shows directly, um, or like historical events. It was um, definitely the moment where it started um, jumping the shark in some ways, but I do remember yeah. thinking it was the best series back when you made it. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Because, of, <laughs> well, there was just a few episodes that were so kind of 
extreme, like Robert satisfies a goat and <laughs> Club Jesus, which was always a favorite for me because it features me in the main role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one it's a it's a rare Corbin uh unhinged moment, as I recall. And the episode <laughs> the episode that's simply called Ugh where uh <laughs> <laughs> Can I just read it out? <laughs> yes, yes, please. So you say, what did the white man say to the black man in jail? Oh, no. <laughs> and then you point at me and say, you're wearing a wig. And it's probably just because like you've drawn my hair a bit wrong and it looks like I'm wearing a wig. And then I say, oh, I thought you wouldn't notice. Sigh. And then I take my wig off and say, I got bolded and had to cover my birthmark. And there's an arrow pointing to the birthmark on my head, which just says, gay. (laughs) 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 You see, that's... uh... I didn't mind you doing that, making fun of me, because um, I wasn't actually bold at the time. <laughs> and I've had that birthmark removed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's just a few instances like that where there was just such funny moments that I remember thinking, uh, oh, Series 5 is like the best yet. Elwell That's and fair. the Queen was in Series 5. So many <laughs> classics. Yeah, in, in uh. other ways, it like you'd kind of... You know, you you were reaching a little, but sometimes that reaching was good, and sometimes uh, not so good. Yeah, sometimes you just got to reach around a little. But then you um, did one more season, which was season six. And how did you feel about that one? Um, I will come back to that in a moment. I want to ask you my last question first. Oh, we're still doing the quiz. <laughs> oh yeah, this is still part of the quiz. This is still quiz adjacent. I forgot um, there was even a quiz going on. Okay. Hit me. Well, so far, so far, you've got uh, two out of four, so you you might you might break even. Not bad. Um, yeah, it's uh, which teacher showed undue interest in my artistic work at this time? Hello, were you getting groomed? Uh, in a matter of speaking, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a teacher that showed undue artistic interest in your work. Hmm, it was not Mr. Costello. He was more of a fan of the porn. So yes. it must have been, oh God, this is another one. This is a great quiz because this is another one where when you tell me the answer, I'm going to say, oh, I knew that, but I can't remember right now. It's funny because it kind of rings a bell. Like I remember there was a teacher who actually, mm. oh, I mean, no. they they actually um, they actually spent, they, they paid the 250, they paid the piper. Oh God. Oh, that's true. Who was it? You got to tell me. I don't know. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> it was Mr. Johnson Green. Oh, yeah. It was our form tutor at the time. I remember him being like, Sam, these are ruddy hilarious. Let me buy some. <laughs> in a in a truly in a truly charitable act, because, I mean, I can't imagine that they made it much further than the kitchen bin. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if he still has them. A rare original on my collection. Actually, I wonder what would have happened if he'd gotten called up before the PTA. And I thought you were going to say called up to serve in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, you know, gotten into had his home searched because they suspected him of some kind of crime. I don't know. And then then they found that these comics in his house and they were like, excuse me, can you explain this? Why you have comics portraying one of your students as a Nazi? He wouldn't be able to explain that, would he? I don't think he'd even try. I think he'd be like, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, you do a, a small, um, a small minicdote to add to that. Um, is, uh, well, I, he, he once, he was, he was married as we later found out to one of the, um, college teachers that we had or that you had that I knew of, one of the art teachers. Um, you know, they were married to each other. Yeah. And, uh, one time I was, uh, in the, just walking through the grounds of the sixth form college, a completely different um, institution. And I sort of bumped into him. We had a little chat and he asked me if I was still making comics. And I said, actually, yes, I am. I just made, I just had one um, that I sort of self-published, which is a comic series we did later called Screw. Um, and yeah, I remember getting more money out of him at that point, <laughs> giving him a copy because I had some in my bag. And considering how much more impressive Screw looked than this, he was probably really impressed. Yeah. He probably probably thinks that by now you're the head of Marvel or something. Yeah, he probably does. And I wouldn't wouldn't disavow him of that notion. Uh, If I ever see him again, I will just lie about what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Yeah, to to make an old man happy. Um... Anyway, circling back, you said, uh, how do I feel about season six? How do I feel about season six? Season six felt like, um, it felt like the first season back after the writer's strike, which hadn't happened yet. But like, there's sort of a moment, um, in television history in 2007, 2008, where like the writer's strike had, had come to a conclusion and all the writers were back and they'd clearly been spending their free time, you know, just like getting back to grips with their art. And there's just like a wave of brilliant, like well-written comedy and like strong television after that, because like, you know, everyone deserves a bit of a break and a bit of time off. Um, and yeah, like season six to me felt like, okay, this is, this is pure. This is back to back to basics. I'm getting rid of the celebrity cameos of, I don't know, Taron McMillan or <laughs> Adam Gibb. <laughs> Yeah. Um and I'm uh Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> moving uh I'm moving back to the the core four and uh just doing things the old fashioned way. I don't know if that's even the uh, even accurate, but that's how it <laughs> felt when I was making it. Um that is a good question. <clears throat> I'm leafing through it now and uh I don't know. No, season six it's kind of uh, it's a mixed bag, I think. I mean, it opens with a, a very harsh little moment where I'm not even going to say his name, but there's a character who hasn't been in it before, a real boy from our school, and he just says says his name and then says, I have no friends. Or <laughs> He says, I have no friends or life. <laughs> and that's it. That's his whole bit of thing. See that's that's when it's just being a bit pointlessly cruel. <laughs> Why am I laughing so much though? Clearly it's funny. <laughs> uh, it just appears and says, I have no friends or life. <laughs> it's horrible. I hope he never saw that, because that's mean. That's what I, I'm don't, talking I can't about. imagine I can't imagine he would have, because that would have required him to have some friends or life. Uh, passed point. along by word word of mouth. <laughs> 
So you were you were really nice to me in this comic. You obviously genuinely liked me because all of the humor aimed at me is just kind of surreal nonsense. Yeah. Or maybe that yeah. just means I didn't have like any kind of uh, identifiable traits for you to make fun of. I was just blend- blending into the background. I think uh, I think that a lot of it was. Um... Sorry, I made the mistake of, uh, of uh, scrolling through my files here. Um, no, I, I think that uh, for me, the funniest thing I could make you do was either be like just sort of like quietly disgusted or. <laughs> You know, like you know, perhaps a little outraged, but then like just to, just to spice that up occasionally with something that was just c- completely out of pocket. Um, yeah, like I, I felt like I needed to like I, I think more than any other character, I was uh, conscious of how I used you to comic effect. Like um, I was like, okay, if Corbin's on the page, he needs to be doing this thing, unless we're going to go this way with it, which yeah. is is. You know, thinking back is a lot more thought than I thought I put into it. I, when I think like when I think back about like making this, uh, my memories of it are relatively loose, and I assume that my process of making it was relatively loose. Um, I I think that a lot of the time I was just like, the, oh, my memory of it makes me feel like I just you know sat down and didn't even look at the page when I was drawing. I just sort of let my hand go where it wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, uh, no, I obviously I thinking back with what's going through it in this way is making me remember things, and it's nice. It's nice to regain that perspective. Well, again, that's another reason I wanted to do this to try and uh, dig up some repressed <laughs> memories, repressed trauma, some heavily repressed memories. Well, one of the things that uh, makes a lot of these so funny is the visual humor or the juxtaposition of the words and the images or just like silly shit that's happening in the background. So I don't know if it's um, necessarily the easiest thing to do a reading of, although I obviously did try to do one earlier, Um, managed to get it out after a lot of guffawing, very unprofessional of me. But uh, yeah, if you have one that um, that you'd like to do a dramatic reading of, then uh, I'm go- we'd love I'm gonna to go hear for it. an earlier. Yeah, I'm gonna go for an earlier episode. It's, uh, when I made it, it was always like one of my favorites. Um, and even though it's maybe not like the absolute funniest, it's like one that always uh, made me chuckle when I when I look back. The Usual Scum, episode thirteen, Alien. The first panel: a nondescript individual with a very small face, smiling inanely, stands opposite Sam in costume, with a moustache, a worried smile, and some military medals pinned to his chest. The first is labelled some actor, the other is labelled Sam, comma, acting. Are you okay, man? Cut! A voice from off-screen. Sam leans in, looking unhappy. In the second frame, there is a man wearing a baseball cat sat in a folding chair with some papers stuck to his lap. And for some reason, that man is the one saying the next uh, line of dialogue, even though it's clearly not coming from him. <laughs> but Sam, I believe Sam is meant to be saying, Wait, Ridley Scott directed Alien. What is crappy Steven Spielberg doing here? The third panel. Steven Spielberg now looking angry, menacing even. It's my film now. Go get mounted by the alien. The fourth panel. 
It's captioned later offset. Sam is looking into a doorway marked alien dressing room. Pleasure working with you. The fifth panel now marked on said Sam with a notable and labeled stomach bulge and a single military medal. He's been demoted clearly. Um, <laughs> simply saying, who are final panel? The head of Chilton has bursted out of the stomach bulge in Sam's body. Sam, outraged, eyes bulging, mouth agape. Chilton, get the hell out of my stomach. Chilton, smiling inanely. No, it's comfy in here. End comic. Well, that was very thorough. (laughs) Sam, I've got quite a lot of questions. Please. Okay. Um, How come... In my panel five, where Sam is looking into the dressing room, he's not saying anything in my version. There's no text. Uh, That is a case of the difference between the original comic that I did by hand and I'm assuming a mistake I made when I was uh, editing, editing these for later publication. My original handwriting in these comics was awful. Um... And uh, yeah, looking looking at um, looking at the original, I can see why I chose to go through, take out the original text boxes and put them in, which I believe is also. I'm not sure if that uh, if that speech bubble problem is um, is is an original one, because in the original one, like the the speech bubble is sort of, it looks like it's more going towards um, towards Steven Spielberg, but it's not really indicative in the way that it is in the later one. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Maybe that's a mistake that I left in, but yeah, no, I, I so I, to 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 explain, I I, may, I took these comics at a later date, and I wanted to print them up in a book to give out to a couple of friends as a sort of a, a gift, along with like other comic works. Um, and I didn't think that the um, the original comics were like legible, so I went through and digitally up, updated the text. Did and, you uh, rewrite yeah. all the text? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's why it took me so long. Because <laughs> um, it's still but yeah. handwritten, but is this digitally... You, you wrote it using a tablet? Correct, yeah. Oh, okay. So the original yeah. text was a lot more illegible. Correct. Uh, I used um, uh, what people sometimes refer to as cursive. You know, I used joined-up handwriting. Oh. Um, and it was it fit badly into the boxes. So I, uh, yeah, I decided to fix it. That's another thing that I've struggled with over the years is comics lettering because I like to do everything, you know, hand lettered. But it's like it's a lot harder than it looks to make that look good and readable. You know, it's it's a real skill. Yeah. The other question I have is the back of Steven Spielberg's chair. Does it say idiot? Yes, it it does say idiot. You're right. I had had missed that, but yes, it does say idiot. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I think that's... I said I had a lot of questions, but I think that covers all of them. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you now, before we get to the uh, cringe leaderboard, I want to ask you, if you were to do this project again, what would you do differently? I think that if I was to make this again, I would still be trying to do the same thing that I was initially setting out to. I think that the purpose of this has to be the same, but I think that I would probably 
there will probably be things that will be a lot more mired in actual events. And I don't know that I would necessarily stick to the six panel format. Like, yeah. I think that I might, uh, if I was to do this again, it might take the form of a sort of a graphic novel, but still very simplistic character designs. But I think I would probably try to sit down and maybe just make a sort of a tome about like that period of time um, told through, you know, short, short anecdotes. Wow. I think, um, what's it called? Um, what's that comic series called? That's like, it's got, uh, it's got an owl and it's got a cat. Uh, it's quite unpleasant, but also quite good. I think it's called Megan Mog. No, not Megan Mog. Um, Oh, yeah, you mean Meg Morgan Owl, Simon Hanselman? Yes, that's it. Yeah. I think I would try to make it uh, more, like, more in that kind of uh, style, <laughs> like a bit more, a bit more sort of uh, in-depth, a little more, like, ongoing, still sort of episodic, but maybe just, like, formatted as, like, a, a large thing to be sent out. That is uh, such an interesting comparison. It's something that wouldn't have occurred to me. But actually, yeah, in many ways, Mega Morgan Owl is like a- an adult version of the usual scum. It's got that same kind of energy. It's as if, like, if you, yeah, if you came back to this and tried to do the usual scum, but like bringing the full force of everything y- you know and all of your existing skills to it, it might be something like Mega Morgan Owl, which is one of my favorite comics ever, by the way. It's just the best (laughs) but again it's got that like real life that sort of dark sometimes surreal energy and yeah for sure yeah there's just enough kind of crudeness to it that it doesn't feel polished like i think he goes out of his way to make it um sort of non non non-polished and sort of not look professional but it's you know it is also amazing comics making like it always communicates clearly you know through its simplicity again it, it, it's both tragic and funny but it's it's just really it's just really good that's all i got to say <laughs> yeah no uh, i mean i think it's always important to uh close out so, uh, an episode of this with commenting on uh, how excellent other people's work is <laughs> <laughs> well i would love to see you try something like that i mean i don't know if you ever had the thought in mind that you might give it a go but man yeah like as a model for like where you could take the usual scum concept that's 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 quite an amazing idea actually oh oh, thank you i appreciate that i um yeah i don't i think of all the creative projects that we're gonna like cover in this i think that the usual scum is the one that will that will never die um it'll there'll always be some some spark some seed of it that's like there for me because i i always might like you know i always met like making like sort of little comics like and they're most mostly they're ones that i show you but i i do them with different friends as well and you know i just sort of fire something out and send it over to them and get a chuckle um yeah and, yeah yeah finding new ways to sort of like work with that and you know make make things along that premise it's it's always interesting to me I'm uh, I'm permanently optimistic about things that I will make. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to be, don't you? I think so. It's uh, interesting in that sense that you gave it such a firm ending because you did end it. 
there was like a yes a, a final episode so rather than like carrying it on and just transforming it over the years you ended it and then started a different comic with a, a similar format but you know well I new mean, ways of drawing the, and a slightly different sense of humor it's worth noting that um so in the in the final episode of the usual scum um or in the final couple of episodes technically but in the in the finale of the usual scum the characters are changed in form they're changed from um the sort of the pac-man ghosts into sort of very scratchy looking stick figures um because i thought wow you need to get serious about this you need to draw you know you've got these blobs and everyone says they look like penises (laughs) um so you yeah you need to you need to make something that's clearly a person and i knew that i wanted to do more um but the the sort of cover to what I made afterwards, which is called uh, Tear Usual Spin-Off. The, the cover of that actually refers to it as um, it says AKA Season 7 of The Usual Scum. Oh yeah. So I think uh, that I viewed that as a sort of a straight delineation, but we can talk about that more as a, another time. We will. So how, how long did it take you to, to actually draw all of these overall? Like, What kind of span of time did it take to get from episode 1 to episode 153 180 uh, sorry i'm yeah. trying to read the roman numerals <laughs> <laughs> um 180 i think i started in 2003 i finished i want to say it was in early 2006 so i think i worked on this over the course of maybe it wasn't that late no i'm gonna say it was like mid to i think it's summer 2005 actually i'm trying to remember because i remember sitting in colchester library for the very first time when i was doing the last couple of episodes of the usual scum and that 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 space would be somewhere that i would go to like do creative work um for the time being so i think I think the summer of 2005. So I think I, I worked on this over the course of like two years, but it probably in no in no consistent manner. I think uh, 2003 to 2005 is um, is that window. So I call it call it a year and a half to two years. Mm. Okay, so that's not a crazy amount of time, but it's sort of a good a good stretch of time considering. Because yeah. again, it's yeah. like when I was that age, it felt like you either got something done immediately. Or not at all. Yeah. <clears throat> but I guess you gamed the system a little by doing it in seasons. So you could do one season very quickly and then have a break from it and then come back to it later on and blast yeah. through another season. <clears throat> yeah, no, I that was very much like... Because I knew that I wanted to do a lot, but when I, when I was actually sitting down and doing them, I did get pretty tired. I did, just um, like right now, by the sound yeah, of it. Yeah, just like right now. <laughs> no, but I did. Um, I did sort of sit there and think, "Wow, I this this is a lot of effort that I'm putting in, even even with my all my low low effort hacks." Hmm. Yeah, and that's that's how it is with comics. Sadly, they're an yeah. incredible uh, undertaking for very little reward. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Basically. Yeah. Okay. In that case, I think we need to stick this bad boy on the cringe leaderboard or the nostalgia leaderboard or whatever the hell it's called. 
I think that you're right, Book, and I think that you're I think you're ruddy right. You want to give us a nostalgia score out of 100? I do. I want to give this a nostalgia score of 72. 70 bleeding too. Look at that. I'm not really keeping track enough to know whether that's a high score or not. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm just writing it down. Yeah, you should write down all like all the numbers. Someone needs to write these down because. Uh, <clears throat> God damn! I mean, I hope you're keeping a spreadsheet or something, because I'm already totally you know lost. I'm actually, I'm, I'm upgrading. I'm gonna say it's eighty-four. You, what? You changed your mind? I, I've changed my mind. All right. It's, it's too, it's too important to me to not, like everything I thought about here. It's, it's gotta be eighty-four. Yeah, well, this is de- deeply connected to your time at school, which is intrinsically yeah. nostalgic, right? <laughs> it is. But how cringy is it, Sam? Well, then, I mean, herein lies the rub. See, because, from my uh, perspective, it's not very cringy. There's uh, there's parts of it that are very that are very cringy. There are parts of it that are very or not very, but there are parts of it that are, I would say are can- cancelable for sure. There's yeah, definitely that's some there's fair. definitely some uh, questionable material in there that I put in that I thought well, I need to do this to keep up with the big boys. Brackets, South Park, Family Guy, etc. Yeah, but then um, sometimes you were pretty, uh, pretty advanced, pretty mature with your humor. Like for example, episode one hundred and eight. Again, this is me struggling with the Roman numerals. Oh episode yeah, they were, numbered, they were numbered with Roman numerals. By the way, that was that was me being that was pretty a, cho- a definitive choice. Yeah, of course. Anyway, sorry. One hundred episode one hundred and eight tampons. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah features a, some pretty questionable uh stuff but then um, I thought you said this was i thought you said this was sophisticated yeah 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 but in the last panel it says brought to you by sexist wankers yeah oh. which, which it's kind of like you know it's 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 uh piercing the uh the offensiveness by saying like hey yeah <laughs> you'd have to be a sexist wanker to say this sort of thing yeah, I'm not selling it very well, but <laughs> it's better than it sounds. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that um, <laughs> I think that that was me sort of like being like, oh, is this is this ripe for fun? Probably not, but I know I'll I'll say some awful things and then I'll be like, see what see what idiots think. Well, the episode was just skewering tampon ads and making them out to be ridiculous. I don't think it's actually offensive. It's just, you know, slightly gross, <laughs> slightly gross out humor, which, you know, what more can you expect from a 13 year old boy? Yes. I mean, probably more, but uh, not, not, not this day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give this a, I'm going to give this 27 cringe. Hey, that's I'd not say. Much. Do you think? I'm not questioning I'm... your score. I'm just commenting. It's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna give this 27 cringe. That's I think that's a, a fair amount because it does make me cringe. But I'm also like, there's I mean I've been laughing at it this this, this very day, 20 years after its uh, creation. So yeah, it's yeah. still a hell of a lot funnier than most of what someone at that age would have created. I mean, yeah, there are cringe moments, like you say, mostly the kind of awkward you know trying to be uh, funny by being offensive moments but yes. 
in terms of its actual like what it was it's like you weren't overreaching you weren't trying to do something pretentious or way beyond your skill level but you were still getting some very funny results and i mean as far as i'm concerned that makes it a success yeah no i i think i agree with you on that um so our our leaderboard goes as uh, as follows so far from uh, from from least to, to most it's uh lith siblings with 25 the pawn with 44.5 and the usual scum with 57 wow straight in at number one i know but these will start to dilute and have more aggregate <laughs> meaning once uh, once we do more well as we've noted that, that you know everything all of my projects are going to be a lot lower down just because i'm i'm a harsher marker <laughs> so maybe we need to add like a 20 point Corbin premium <laughs> or something to balance like, it out at some point perhaps we do perhaps we need to go through and you know take 10 points off of mine and give 10 points to yours or something like that yeah give me the points can, uh, we can work that out I'm sure but yeah thank so you for talking to me about the usual scam my, my brainchild well, as we talk about the various f- follow-up comics to this, I'm sure we're going to have many, many reasons to come back and speak more about these comics. So, um, you know, this hasn't necessarily been a comprehensive deep dive. <laughs> no. Because there's a hell of a lot more to talk about with this, but uh, we will definitely circle back to it in later episodes. So before we go, what are we going to talk about next week? Uh, next week, welcome. We following our, our rotation, we you would don't be have going a clue, to. Do you? <laughs> you don't have a bloody clue, do you? Uh, I have a timeline, and I have projects in front of me that are both of us. I'm trying to decide what the best one to do would be. Okay, so next, we did next, next week. We did we... the porn, which was both. Both of us, we did me, and then we did you. So now we need to do a joint project again. I see. What Correct. You're yeah. Exactly. Sorry, exactly. I just rudely interrupted you. And you were getting <laughs> around to that. Okay. I was. Um, I'm looking at. It seems like 2005 is the next next year that we sort of formally work together. Um, are you wanting to go after? The one with the letter Z in it, or are you wanting to go after more writing? Sam, I think you're missing one very important project. Oh, really? In none other than 2004. Hit me, because I'm blanking. A story by. <sighs> Goodness me. Yes, okay, yes, a let's do it. great title for a great comic. A story by. We're talking about it next week. Fantastic the novel that everyone wanted to see. It's a real and... piece of lost art. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. Next, uh, well, next week. We'll dig into Story that next by. week. So that only leaves me to say that if you uh, want to write in and talk about the hilarious comics that you made when you were a teenager, you know the email. It's juveniliapodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't finish the, saying the that world cracking up. Pod, the world's emptiest <laughs> inbox. Come uh, marvel at the world's emptiest email inbox. There's nothing in it. There's <laughs> bloody nothing here. <laughs> so you could be the first. Yes, The you. cupboard was bare. <laughs> oh dear. Right, I've got to go and, uh, you know, 
mashed potatoes. Yeah, maybe I could do that. Yeah, I was trying to think of something that would make my life sound interesting, but there's nothing, Sam. There's nothing. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Sam. I'll catch you on the flip side. All right, bye. Thank you.